morning. The word of the Lord is flawless, and his ways are perfect. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Let us listen to the word of God and hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now please turn to Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he, he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is, the devil, and free those who all, who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Please pray with me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. Well, good morning. I hope you had a fantastic uh, Thanksgiving and had a chance to connect with your family uh, and or friends. Uh, God is so good, isn't he? And we have so much to be thankful for. So one of the things that we do as a family, I'm sure most of you do this as well, is, uh, is uh, Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving, we go up into the attic and we pull down all the Christmas decorations. We put up the, the greenery, the lights, we pull out the candles and all the other stuff. And, of course, we put up the Christmas tree. And once it's all decorated, slowly but surely over the next few weeks, something wonderful begins to happen under that tree. Presents of all shapes and sizes, brightly decorated with bows and shiny stuff, appear underneath the tree. And as a kid, that was always an exciting time for me. It was a time um, where, uh, of anticipation, of guessing, of, of wondering if the hints that were not so subtly dropped you know, were picked up and acted upon by my parents. Uh, it was a time where I was, you, you were hoping that when you tore off the wrapping paper and you opened that box, that what you had wished for and asked for, you would find inside. We all love presents. 
But the problem with presents is that eventually, for most presents anyway, we begin to outgrow them, we outlive them, they begin to break down, or they become obsolete. But the best presents, of course, are the ones they say that money can't buy, the ones that last, love and family and friends, simple pleasures like a sunrise or a sunset or a hawk uh, gliding on in the sky on a cloudless Kansas day. And the greatest present, of course, that we celebrate this time of year and highlight this time of year especially is the gift of Jesus Christ come to be one of us in the form of a, of a baby boy. Jesus truly is the gift that keeps on giving because not only does he offer himself, he offers so much more to those who are willing to receive. And so this morning, we're going to be digging into the two scripture passages that were read earlier as we look at at least a little one aspect of of the presence of Christ in our lives. We're going to begin with Matthew one and in Matthew one. Joseph gets an unexpected present and the unexpected present is an unexpected pregnancy. Now, a lot of times for couples, this would be an exciting time. This would be a wonderful surprise. But in this case, at least not initially, it was not. Joseph is engaged to Mary, and um, they've not had sexual relations. So Joseph is not naive. He knows about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. He knows where babies come from. So he draws the only reasonable explanation that she's been unfaithful. And so he could make a big he could make a big deal about this. He could make a scandal of it. But he decides since he cares for her and he's a he's a nice guy, he's going to make a quiet, clean break and move on with his life. But before he has a chance to do that, Joseph gets another unexpected present. This time, it's a visit from an angel. And the angel tells Joseph that, in fact, this pregnancy is not unexpected. It's not unplanned. In fact, it's a part of God's plan to save his people. And that, in fact, the baby who was growing in in Mary's womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that Joseph is to name this boy Jesus, which means he will save his people. And then the angel uses a title from a a messianic prophecy in Isaiah from hundreds of years earlier and says, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. This is what we theologically call the the incarnation. This idea that, that Jesus Christ became one of us, God in human flesh, walking the earth fully 100% God and fully 100% human, which which is a radical idea to think about. It's kind of hard to put your mind around. It was back then. It is now that God was what came to earth and Jesus was 100 percent God, but also 100 percent human. So let's dig into this idea of the incarnation and, and talk about why it's so important and the implications it has for us as we live our lives. In the 1980s and early 1990s, there was a political tidal wave that swept across Eastern Europe. Um, country after country of Eastern Bloc communist countries, they began to, to transition either swiftly or gradually to democracy and capitalism. And one country that stood out, and if you were of age back then, you'll remember this, one country that stood out was, was Poland because of one man. Remember his name? Lech Walesa. And he was an electrician and a union activist. He was kind of a blue-collar guy, and he was a catalyst to the fall of communism and the rise of democracy and capitalism and, and the key to ushering in freedom for the Polish people. And the movement that he created was called Solidarity. Solidarity. 
In verse 11 of Hebrews 2, it tells us that Jesus came to earth as one of us to establish a relationship, to establish solidarity with us. Listen to verse 11. But the one, referring to Jesus, but the one who makes humans holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus came to establish solidarity with us. Jesus, you know, Christianity is the only religion that says God stands with us by becoming one of us. That, that God makes us brothers and sisters, makes us, makes us family. He doesn't just invite us to dinner and put up a, a table and put a, a seat for us and call us his guests. We are family. We have a place at the table. We are family because Jesus Christ came to earth. And that's the first why of the incarnation. Jesus came to earth as one of us because God wants to expand his family. Jesus came to earth to save as many as possible and to bring as many as possible into a right relationship with the Father. We see this in verses 10 and 13 and 16. We hear the language, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Verse 13, here I am and the children God has given me. Verse 16, for surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. So Jesus came to earth because God wants to expand his family to, so Jesus can call us brothers and sisters. The second why of the incarnation is expressed in verses 14 and 15, where the author writes, Since the children, human beings, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And certainly the fear of death, the realization of our own mortality, it's a human experience. Woody Allen sums up our uneasiness with death this way. It's not that I'm afraid to die, he wrote. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Right? Okay. Well, in the incarnation, Jesus deals with this fear by becoming one of us and by taking on death and defeating death at the cross and at the empty tomb. And because of that, the scripture tells us, encourages us that we don't have to fear death any longer. For for the believer in Christ, it's just a temporary transition to eternal life. Carolyn Ahrens, a writer, tells this story about the time when a, a missionary couple came to church and, and did the sermon. And they were from a, a place in the jungle. And, um, and she says, she writes, I'm sure they gave a full report on churches planted or commitments made or translations begun. She says, I don't remember much of that. What has always stayed with me is a story they shared about a snake. She writes, one day they told us an enormous snake, much longer than a man, slithered into their house, into the kitchen. They ran outside looking for someone to take care of this. A man ran in with a machete and chopped off the head of the snake with one clean chop. And the neighbor came out of the house and assured the missionaries that the snake was indeed dead. But he said there was a catch. It was going to take a while for the snake to realize that it was dead. You see, a snake's neurology and blood flow are such that it can take considerable time for, for it to stop moving, even after it's been decapitated. And so for the next several hours, the missionaries were forced to wait outside while the snake thrashed about, smashing furniture, slamming against the walls and the windows, wreaking havoc until it finally stopped moving. The missionaries said that sweating in the heat, they were frustrated and a little sickened by what was going on inside their house. 
But they were also grateful that the snake's rampage would not last forever. And at some point, they said, they had a mutual epiphany. Aaron said she leaned in with the rest of the congregation. Do you see it? asked the husband. Satan is a lot like that big old snake. He's already been defeated. He just does not know it yet. In the meantime, he's going to do some damage. But never forget, never forget that he is a goner. And then Aaron finishes her story when she says, The story still haunts me because I have come to believe that it is an accurate picture of the universe. We are in the thrashing time, a season characterized by our pervasive capacity to do violence to each other and ourselves. And the temptation is to despair. But we have to remember that it won't last forever because Jesus has already crushed the serpent's head. The second implication and why of the incarnation is that Jesus came to earth as one of us to defeat and destroy Satan and sin and death, our greatest enemies, and to set us free from fear of them. The third why of the incarnation is found in verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus, in the incarnation, he identifies with the human condition, with the suffering in our world. And through that suffering, we're told that Jesus is made perfect. Now, did Jesus have to be made perfect? He wasn't perfect before the cross. No, they're not talking about that. The Greek word for perfect here means to make something or someone complete. And Jesus was already perfect because he was he was God. But his mission is made complete, is completed when he suffers and dies on the cross for our sins. Timothy Keller, who's a pastor, a retired pastor and author from uh, Manhattan in New York City, wrote this about this topic. He writes, Christianity does not so much offer solutions to the problems of suffering, but rather provides a promise of a God who is completely present with us in suffering. Only Christians believe in a God who says, here I am alongside you. I've experienced the same suffering you have. I know what you're going through. No other religion even begins to offer that. And Keller goes on to write, after the World Trade Center tragedy, between 600 and 800 new people began attending his church. And the sudden influx of people pressed the question, what does your God have to offer me at a time like this? Keller wrote, I preached Christianity is the only faith that tells you that God lost a child in an act of violent injustice. Christianity is the only religion that tells you, therefore, God suffered as you have suffered. So the third why and implication of the incarnation is that Jesus came to earth as one of us to identify with our suffering by going through suffering himself. And finally and fourthly, the, the point is found in verses 17 and 18. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So in the the incarnation, Christ becomes one of us so he can understand our temptations and our struggles and help us when we face them. Now, In the early church, there were several heresies about the incarnation. One of them was that was called docetism. And it was the idea that Jesus 
was 100% God, but he just seemed to be human. It came from the idea in the culture at the time that, that the physical world was, the material world was, was evil and corrupted, that only the spirit world was phys- non-physical stuff. Spirits were good. And so in this idea of, of Jesus, God would never stoop so low as to put on something dirty and corrupted like human flesh. Jesus was fully God, but just pretending to be human. Another um, heresy was something called Apollinarianism. This was the idea that Jesus, yes, he was God. And yes, Jesus had a real physical body, but he did not have a normal human mind or spirit. He wasn't fully human. He was closer than a docetist would believe, but not fully human. Physical body like human, but, but not a, a human mind or spirit. What are the implications if you adopt those two heresies? Well, that would mean that Jesus was like us physically. He could be hurt. He could be hungry. He could be tired. He could get sick, thirsty. He could die. He could be lonely. But if he had God's mind and spirit, he could not truly be tempted or truly scared or truly lonely or truly afraid. And if that was the case, he could not understand what it meant to be a human being in all of our, 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 our struggles and temptations. But Jesus was fully God and fully human. The Bible is clear on that. And he did experience what it means to be scared or lonely or tempted or hungry or thirsty. He knew what it meant to experience grief. Gregory of Nazius said this about when he was fighting the heresies. What has not been assumed cannot be restored. In other words, what has not been taken on and identified with cannot be redeemed. So Jesus had to take on our human existence entirely. If he had not, if he had not taken on the struggle to temptation, if he had not taken on the pain and betrayal of, of friends, rejection by family, the temptation to lust, the, fresh, the frustration we feel when we're misunderstood, the vulnerability and, vulnerability and weakness that we as humans often feel, if he had not taken on these things and much, much more of the human experience, then God could not truly work in our lives to help redeem and restore the junk in our lives and in our world. So Jesus knows what it's like to be one of us. And as Athanasius said, he became like us so we might become like him so that we might live forever, so we might share in his righteousness, so they might share at the table as brothers and sisters, as part of his family. And that's the fourth implication. Jesus becomes one of us so he can understand our temptations and struggles and help us when we face them. And so the beauty of the incarnation, this incredible gift we have, is that nobody can no longer say, nobody understands what I'm going through. Because Jesus does. Jesus does completely. Because he was 100% God, but also 100% human being. He's able to completely understand and to help us when we struggle, when we have pain or fear or temptation. What an incredible present that is. What an incredible gift made available through the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, God with us. Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you are not a God who um, 
watches over us from afar, who doesn't get his hands dirty, who doesn't um, really know what we're going through, but rather through the incarnation, you sent your son Jesus to, to be with us, to be one of us, to be like us so that we can be completely and fully redeemed, so that we can be helped in whatever situations we might run into, so that we can be saved, Lord. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And uh, we offer ourselves to you in, in his name. Amen.